Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. If you don't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of John. The Gospel record of John in chapter number 2. The Gospel record of John in chapter number 2. We're starting a brand new Sunday school series of the miracles of Jesus. We understand that within the Gospel record are 35 marked miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we enter into this next year's theme that with God all things are possible that we want to be reminded and start off this brand new year as we approach it with the idea that we have a miracle working God. We have a God who is able to do so much and as we study the miracles of Christ we are reminded that there's a God who never lost his power. A God who hasn't diminished in power. He's not tired. He hasn't run out of gas. He doesn't need fuel that there's a God who still can do great miracles and we can trust him and we can depend upon him. So if you don't mind to take your copy of the Bible and turn with me to the gospel record of John chapter 2 and let us read about the first miracle that Jesus Christ did within his earthly ministry found in the gospel record of John in chapter number 2. The gospel record of John of chapter 2 and notice with me in verse number 1. The gospel record of John chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says this, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said, saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto his servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there was set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was. But the servants which drew the water knew. And the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto them, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when the men had well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now." This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. What we see here is this very first miracle. What is a miracle, by the way? A miracle is something that cannot be explained by intellect or scientific effect. It is something that is outside of nature, supernatural. It is something that breaks the laws of normal nature. That's what a miracle is. And there are 35 miracles, different, unique, specific miracles given within the gospel records. In this 
we see Christ's power over nature, over sickness, over demons, over deaths. As we see our miracle working Savior, our faith should be increased as well. In John chapter 2, we have the beginning of miracles. It's often called the miracle of the wedding of Cana. Cana is a, is a city that's outside of Nazareth just a little bit. As we see the disciples being brought and they were witnessed to uh, brought to this um, wedding, they are witnessed to this first miracle. If you don't mind, let's walk through and examine this miracle together. The very first thing I'd like to show you here is the master. The master. Notice with me in John chapter 2 and verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Here we could see that... <laughs> Jesus' public ministry has begun, and he shows up at a wedding, which again, he's putting his stamp of approval on the institution of a marriage. Remember, you can have a good marriage, but unless you have Christ at the center of it, it's not the right kind of marriage. Well, as they're here at the marriage, Jesus is called, his disciples is called, his mother is called, they're there at the wedding, and Verse number three, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Now this is a big deal because what you're having is a, a wedding celebration. You have the bride there, you have the groom there, you have the governor of the feast who is the most important head dignitary that's there at the feast. Whether it's a relative or whether it's an official in the town, he was the governor. But it would be responsible for the bride and groom to have planned for all of their guests. And they would have the wine and food there. And it was considered a big faux pas, a big mistake if you would run out of food or run out of wine. It was considered a great insult and it was a bad way to start a marriage. And so they've had these guests here and they've had the wine set out and they've had the guests enjoying themselves and someone comes up and says, oh, we ran out, we ran out. And this is going to be considered uh, a market thing. If you can imagine a small town, such as the one that we're in right now. Can you imagine everyone talking about how bad that party flopped? They ran out of food. They ran out of drink. Oh, I, you know, that, I don't know if they're going to last if they can't plan it like this. It was considered a very big mistake. And so they went up to Mary and Mary, what are we going to do? We're, we ran out. The party's only halfway over and we've already ran out of drink. This is not good at all. And so <clears throat> Mary comes up to Jesus and says, all right, son, what are we going to do about this? Notice in verse number four. And Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now, what we're seeing here is that he's not speaking to her harshly, even though that's not something we would speak today. For example, if my wife came up to me and said, honey, we got to take care of something. Woman, this is not the time to talk to me. That's not considered appropriate speech and today. But back then, the word woman there was more of a tender, affectionate term. But it does show something specific that there's a change of relationship. That beforehand, Jesus being part of the, the household of Mary, remember that Jesus was always grew up in a perfect. He always obeyed his mom. And so growing up, he had that relationship where he was under her submission. 
But now as he's in his public ministry, he's now 30 years old. There is a difference in relationship where he's no longer obligated to obey her, even though he's always on the obligation to honor her. But there's a change of relationship here. He's not here to obey the whims of men. He's not here to satisfy man's need. Not at this time. This is why he says, for my hour is not yet come. Seven times within the gospel record of John, you'll see that phrase, for my hour is not yet come. For my hour is not yet come. The hour comes where Jesus submits himself to the needs of man when Jesus Christ dies on the cross. That's where he submits to the needs of man. He dies so that way we can have freedom. He dies on the cross to give us that freedom of, and forgiveness of sins forever. But now is not the time. Now he is the master. There's a different relationship. He's the one that's in charge. He's the one that's in, in control. And that anything he does is not because man wills him to do it. It is because this is something he has chosen to do. There's a difference of relationship. He is the master. Which moves us to the second thing. We see the change of relationship that he's the master. But we also move to this idea here of the miracle. Of the miracle. Notice with me in verse number 5. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now that's some great faith. He says, now's not the time for me to submit to man. Now's not my hour. And she turns around and says, boys, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And so they, they come up to him. Notice his instructions. Verse number six. And there were set six water pots of stone after the manner of purifying the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Now this is very important because the Hebrew people had a ceremonial cleansing and they cleansed everything. They washed their hands, they washed their, their silverware, their, their forks, their plates, everything. They would do a ceremonial washing. But these were stone barrels. Um, some people believe that they contain nine gallons apiece. Some say it goes up to 20 gallons. But if you could imagine a, a 20 or a big barrel... And this is where people would wash their hands at. So let's say that they blew their nose. They would wash their hands. They came on off the street and they washed, they had a special thing, water pot that they would wash their feet with. But then they had another thing where they would wash their hands. They would get to the place where before they would eat, they would ceremonial wash their silverware. So this is a place where you're washing everything at. And they bring these to Jesus. These things that were used just a couple minutes ago to wash. They were the dishwashers. They were the barrels that contained what people just got through washing in. And they bring this to Jesus. Each holding about nine gallons of water each. Notice what Jesus tells them in verse number seven. Jesus saith, saith unto them, fill the water pots with water. Notice that they obeyed. They filled it to the brim. So here is these things that were set apart for washing. People had been washing in them all day. And now they filled it up with water. And Jesus says, all right, start to, to, to uh, distribute it and start with the governor. Notice in verse number eight. And he saith unto them, draw out now 
and bear to the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And verse number nine, and when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made in wine and knew not whence it was. So he tastes the water and he goes, wait a second. Look at this. He says, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. And he saith to them, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when the men had well drunk and kept that was worse, but now keep that good wine till now. Now doing a study of wines and how they were, the specific type of grape juice that they would use, that what, would they, what they did <clears throat> is they would keep the very best, the great quality. They would, they would put the Welch's grape juice out first. And then they would allow people to drink. And as you would drink this, what would happen to the tongue is it would become a little bit more desensitized. So therefore the taste buds would get used to that flavor and what would happen is that it would no longer be able to taste the quality anymore. So then you move from Welch's to great value and you uh, get the worst stuff. And so that's what they did is they, everyone does this. This is how they had always done it. You start off with the best stuff and then you start using what you have left over uh, afterwards, the stuff that was cheaper, the stuff that wasn't as good quality. And so people had been drinking this and they'd been enjoying the party. Then what happened is that the things that Jesus made was so good quality that even after drinking for a while and having the tongue desensitized, that when they tasted this, this is amazing. This is wonderful. Normally everyone saves the good stuff and puts it up front and saves the rest for the bad, but you save the best stuff for now. Wow, this is amazing. Where have you been hiding this stuff at? And people began to drink with it. And this was a big miracle that, that it happened. And it was because the servants had obeyed. May I show you something that's interesting in verse number nine? And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water, which was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. Here we see something about the servants. That... The people that were the recipients, like the governor, they didn't know where it came from. But the servants knew where it came from. We don't want to tell you where it came from. It came from the wash pots. The same thing, wash pots that you used earlier to wash your hands, that's where it came from. But you see something about the servants, that as the servants were obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, they saw the miracle. They got to see how things happen. They understood where things came from. You know, sometimes people on the outside looking in, they'll look at miracles that happen in a church. They'll look at a church and say, how in the world do you exist? The people who are here laboring and praying and watching God work, this is our explanation. It was God. Amen. It was God. It was God. That's the type of ministry we should have. That we can't explain how it worked out. It's not the nuts and bolts. We were just obedient and God did his part. That when you start obeying the Lord and as you're praying to him and as you're watching, you'll watch him do miracles that the people say, how'd this happen? Where did this come from? How did that work out? Those who are there, we get to see behind the curtain. God did this. God did this. And wasn't the faith of those servants increased? 
Can you imagine being the very first guy who had to serve the governor? You could see the servants kind of rock, paper, scissors. Who's going to deliver the, the water from the wash pot to the governor? Jesus told us to do it. I don't know how it's going to work. It looks like water to me. Pour it out. Here you go. Wash pot water. Here you go. And the governor drinks it and says, this is amazing. Where did this come from? And the servants are like, wow. Wow, that's worked out. You know, your, your faith is increased when you're working with Jesus, letting him move forward, letting him do those things. You get to see behind the curtains a little bit and see God do the math. God changed the life. It's almost looking at um, a preacher. Someone may look at a preacher and say, wow, look at them. They must have been born that way. They must have always been having a close walk with God. Maybe you look at a prayer warrior who prays and it seems like God answers their prayer all the time. Man, they must have had that all of their life. No, they didn't. God had to do a work on their life. He had to change them and mold them and put them through trials and the shadow of a hand. And he had to do all kinds of things with them that the people didn't see the process of God making them. People just look at the end result and just jump to a conclusion that they were always that way. They miss the mechanics that God was working miracle after miracle, changing their life, moving them along, working them on. But that's part of the privilege of being a servant of the Lord and working hand in hand and being obedient to what God has given us to do is that we get to see how God does the miracles. We get to see God moving and doing these things. Whereas others just look at the end result and they miss how it happened. Who is the one who is, who is more amazed? The governor or the servants? The servants because they saw where it came from. They watched it. I carried the water. I put the water in there. I washed people's hands with this pot just a little bit ago. I know what's in here. It was water. But now it's been transformed to something else. They're the ones that's more amazed. They're the ones who got to see God do the miracle and know where it came from. And go, wow, what a God. But we could see not only the master, we could also see the miracle. But I want to show you something else as we look through here. We also see the manifestation of his glory. The manifestation of his glory. Notice with me in verse 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. This idea of manifest means to reveal, to show yourself. People got a glimpse of who he truly was. This is God. This is a miracle working God. This is the son of God. Look at what he did. We got to manifest. We got to see in a visible way what he did. But notice as we go on in verse 11. And the disciples believed on him. Now we already know that the disciples had trusted Christ as their savior already. They had already believed on him for salvation. This idea of believing on him. They have moved from faith to faith. And that's how the Christian life should be, is that we're moving from faith and then our faith increases and we move to faith. 
Then our faith increases and we move to faith. They believed on him. They were able to trust him more. They were able to believe on him more. Because they saw him. They saw him for who he was. They saw what he could do. They could trust him for more now than what they could trust him just a couple hours ago. As you grow in grace with the Lord, as you grow in faith in the Lord, you're able to trust God more than what you were years ago. As you grow in faith, you're, what happens is that you put God to the test. You be obedient. God comes through. And you watch God do more. Now you're able to trust him with even more than you could before. That's when God manifests himself. You're able to know him for whom he truly is. You're able to understand what he can do and believe on him and trust on him. And that's what God wants. He doesn't just want us to trust on him once and then we're done. But he wants us to move from faith to faith, to faith, to faith. Trusting him more as he reveals himself. Trusting him more as he comes through. Trusting him more as he does miracles. Trusting him more as he does his part. Trusting him more and more and more. That was the whole purpose of miracles, by the way, is for people to trust on him. To trust him more. Of course, there are some people who saw Jesus' miracles and they walked away. But there are many like his disciples who trusted him and they grew in faith and they were able to depend on him more. Why was Peter able to do so many things and trust God for things in the books of Acts? In the book of Acts. Because he saw miracles like this for himself. He watched as Jesus did this and he did this and he did this. He was able to trust God more. That's where we get faith, by the way. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That as we trust God at his word, that God does his part and our faith is increased. Because we see whom he is. He's a God who keeps his word. He is a God who is able. He's a God who's able to do miracles. He's a God who's able to answer our prayers. As you see God answer your prayers, you're able to trust God more. He manifests himself. He proves himself to you. You trust him more. And he shows himself alive again. He shows himself real again. And you trust him more. That's what the idea of the faith life is that we move from faith to faith, to faith, step by step by step, trusting him more, letting him reveal himself, that we learn more about who he is and trust on him more and take in another step. And so as we go through this series of the miracles of Christ, the whole purpose is for us to realize whom he is so we can trust on him more. We could depend on him more because he is such a great God. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness 
of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.